The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of MedPEP or Physician Health Services. The advice given to Marie Curious has been individualized and may not apply to the listener. While Marie Curious is a real person describing both real and hypothetical events and situations, she is using a pseudonym for this series. Welcome to MedPEP, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program. I'm your host, Dr. Les Schwab, a practicing internist, an experienced medical leader, and a professional coach. I help medical leaders and health professionals manage workplace complexity in today's stressful and depleting environment. My MedPEP role is to guide Dr. Marie Curious, a young primary care internist with a demanding practice. Marie is determined to thrive at a time when professional burnout runs rampant throughout the system. In each MedPEP episode, I facilitate a conversation between Marie and an expert with knowledge and skills to help her optimize and humanize her experience practicing medicine. Today's expert is Dr. Kathy Lanteri, who is going to speak to us about holding your own in difficult conversations. But before we jump in, I'd like to ask Marie how things have gone since we last talked. As you may recall, we worked with Dr. Diana Dill, and a large part of her focus was on monitoring one's internal arousal and being able to recognize times when it has exceeded one's reasonable capacity to cope with the situation at hand. And I believe as we left it, you were going to try and monitor the degree of arousal you felt at various times through your day. Right. And uh, less really glad to be back because it was time for a check-in. Okay. We were talking about the arousal levels and there were numbers assigned to yes. when you are relaxed and when you're on your game and vigilant and sort of hyper aroused. Right. And so I would say for much of the work day, I'm definitely operating at least 50 to 70. Okay. And we said, we talked about how that was a right. little bit on the, the high side. Right. We And in the taxonomy, the zero was a dead common, and 100 was unsustainable crisis. Yes. 40 was a reasonable level for arousal to be functional. 60, about as much as you can sustain. And you're telling me spend part of the day over 70. Uh, I would say mostly probably around 50 to 60. Okay. And we had talked about coming down to the 20s and 30s, which is where humans need to be to recuperate and be able to focus in on the next segment of the day. And I wasn't finding myself being able to get down there. Okay. How did that sit with you knowing that you had this sustained arousal, although you perhaps could use a break? It felt even more exhausting than usual oh. <laughs> <laughs> now that I was made aware of it okay. in a good way, in the sense that I can now understand taking that break and theoretically getting down to that 20 or 30 for a period of time during the workday could help me feel better equipped to see the next set of patients for the afternoon, for example. Okay. But I just haven't been able to find that time again to get down to the 20 or 30. Okay, well, at some point, I think we should probably attend to ways to get that done at an economy of time so right. that it can be brief, suitably refreshing, and prepare you rather than allow you have to go unbroken at a too high level of activation. Well, today's topic is going to be about something that contributes to high degrees of activation and overactivation. It's about having difficult conversations and learning to hold your own in a way that keeps you at a 
reasonable level of attention, function, and accomplishment. So with that, I'm very eager to listen into your conversation with Dr. Lanteri. So welcome, Dr. Lanteri. It's a pleasure to meet Thank you. Thank you so much, Marie, likewise. Can you please tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do to help the lot of us physicians? Surely. So I'm a practicing psychiatrist, but I'm also an executive coach, and I work with leadership development as well as abrasive physicians. And the way that I got into executive coaching was about 10 years ago, I noticed the changes that were occurring in medicine mm -hmm. were asking for physicians to really have expertise in communication, in conflict resolution, and in team building. Right. And those were skills that the physicians that I was working with as patients, as well as my physician colleagues, had not had training in. So I really felt drawn to start using all of my professional background. Mm -hmm. And using all of my professional background meant combining the, the individual and group dynamics that I had studied and worked with in all these years in medicine, as well as my professional careers before medicine. And when I was first out of college, I was a broadcast journalist. Neat. <laughs> And in that profession, what I would do would be to focus on gathering the facts. Right. And then I would distill them into the smallest, most powerful sound bites. And I was always amazed when someone would talk about the impact that it mm -hmm. had, you know, days, weeks, even a month later. Mm -hmm. And those were the things that I took with me from news as far as how to communicate powerfully. Then I ran a political campaign, and that was a crash course in communication. <laughs> it focused on using both authenticity and authority right. in the way that you conveyed yourself, and that could make a difference in uh, the winning votes and also make a difference in building the alliances mm -hmm. that were needed to win the race. And after that, I was a, a department director in state government and in that area, I really got to hone team building because that was necessary to both enact legislation as well as then to implement it. And to do that, you had to understand the interests of everyone on mm -hmm. these teams mm -hmm. as well as understand their communication styles. So I put all of those things together as an executive coach and I've been working with physicians to help them both be more effective and enjoy their work more, and also seeing the impact that it has to improve the institution. That's incredible. Kathy, if I may call you that. Please. I Can I just say time out? Because I just heard three full careers there, and we didn't even talk about <laughs> psychiatry and coaching. Yes. I, I mean, that's incredible. I feel from my day to day, the skill sets that I need uh -huh. to flourish and to help team build because people do naturally look to me as the primary care provider to bring the team together from your MA to your nurse, to your front desk staff, to the nurse practitioner. And they look at me and I go, well, I was trained to treat people, right. but not to lead an entire team. What can I do to bring the skills that you've acquired through so much life experience and be able to apply that to my daily work? 
I think when you try to acquire any skill, just like you acquired them in medicine, you know, the, the first blood draw that you did. Practice. <laughs> we have to well, practice. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to give you another task. But but really, you, you think about what's the most important component that you want to learn mm. first. It's like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Right. Uh, and so what areas, uh, say, whether it's difficult conversations, our topic mm -hmm. today, or other areas, you want to concentrate on first, and then you, you gain some information that then you can apply. So with difficult conversations, you alluded to various skills that we can employ to better navigate them and to come out on the other end, perhaps successfully mm -hmm. with consensus, with team building. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? How is that achieved? Surely. Well, when you think about communicating, I think stepping back and thinking about what your goal is, mm. is the first place to start. And the topics that you've been working on before, especially when you were working with Gail about mindfulness, mm -hmm. something that's very important in helping you focus on what's most important for you and then what the goal is out of that. Mm. And in any conversation that you have, there's a external component going on, how you express yourself, and right. there's an internal component going on. So we can break that down by looking at the external component first, which helps you think about what it is you want to say and how to express yourself. Yeah. I, I think very much so that this is a skill that needs to be honed. Something I came across recently is the idea of responding rather than reacting. Mm. And I want to put that into practice. Is, is that at all relevant to what you're describing in terms of the outer manifestation of how you're dealing with a difficult conversation and as well as what's happening on the inside? I think that that's an example about what happens on the inside. Mm. And I think that you bring up a very good point that our brains are hardwired to respond to any kind of threat mm -hmm. by going into fight or flight. Mm -hmm. And so when you say that, you know, you're reacting instead of responding, right. most likely what's happening is that you're touching on lighting up that limbic system inside of your brain. And when you do that, you're sending out a lot of neurotransmitters to parts of your brain that don't focus on the analytic part that you use so well as a physician mm. that really helps you be so helpful to others. And so one of the important tricks when your mind goes into that or your behavior goes into that is to first of all recognize it, which you can use the arousal that you worked on mm -hmm. with Diana Dill, as well as the mindfulness. And then to re-engage the analytic part of your brain, that outer part of your neurocortex, by asking questions, mm -hmm. by giving it problems to solve vis-a-vis -vis how you're interacting in the current situation. I wondered if it might be helpful to talk about a typical situation a practicing clinician might be in. So I'll ask Marie, what's a typical difficult conversation you might find yourself tempted to react to? So uh, something that's come up is receiving news from supervisors or administrators with regards to our practice individually and as a group and not 
just jumping immediately and saying, well, you know, I have to defend my position or I don't want to change or things like that, but how to take the news in a level-headed way. Okay, so in terms of Kathy's schema, this is one of those kinds of conflict resolution slash communication scenarios where holding your own is, is important. Absolutely. It's a great example. One of the first things to let yourself know is in responding to a conflictual situation, mm -hmm. you don't have to respond immediately. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, you're in a better position if you take time to reflect and think about what you want to say. Mm -hmm. Once you're at a place where you can start thinking through that, you can frame it in three different components. The, the first component is to think about the style that you want to use when you respond. And that's what you were just bringing up, mm -hmm. whether you want to react strongly and in right. a way that, that really might not lead to a resolution. Mm. And the style, one of the examples that I give that can be helpful is think about how you react to different patients. Mm -hmm. You already have a skill in there to slide that style in many different mm -hmm. ways, whether it's a scared older woman, whether it's a belligerent young man, that you've got that ability to adapt. So you want to think about the style to match the person that you want to communicate mm -hmm. with. You don't want to come in as, as meek and mild if someone is coming across as aggressive and assertive. So you want to think about how to match that. The second component to think about before responding is the strategy that you want to mm -hmm. use in talking to the person. And by strategy, what I mean is to step back and think about what are the interests of the stakeholders who are involved? Mm -hmm. And the stakeholders are anyone who has a stake in this. So it might be your, your medical directors as well as the other people that could be involved in it, whether it's your fellow staff and whether it's the support staff, the patients, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so to gather that thought. And the third component is to think about the script, how you mm -hmm. want to express yourself. So you start with the goal, mm -hmm. you clarify that, then you work on your style your strategy, and then you're ready to think of what to say. I'm glad you laid that out because today we had a group meeting and from it we learned some news from administration specifically. And I think this is a, a lot of what physicians are dealing with these days is thinking about quote unquote productivity and what that means. And part of it is how many patients you're seeing in a day. And that's a hard number. It's a bottom line. One physician in our group responded I would say with anger, feeling that we've all already been stretched so thin, how much more could the administration extract from us? Whereas I sort of just sat there because I felt actually disempowered that we don't have a voice. There's nothing that we can really do. So why be angry? Let's just accept him and move on. And I, I didn't want to feel that way. I want to be able to come up with a strategy, a goal in mind, and be able to convey my thoughts to the administration. Perhaps it's my cynicism that thinks that nothing will change. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that you want to be able to do those things because when we don't respond, what happens is it starts eroding our self-esteem. 
And that's Our learned helplessness, value. isn't it? Right. <laughs> the right. classic right. example Which of that. Then goes to what you're talking about with burnout very yes. much. And I, I was glad to hear on the earlier shows that you'll be talking about what you're going to be able to do from a system-wide perspective. Mm -hmm. But there are things that you can do so that your voice is as empowered and effective mm. as you would hope it to be. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there on an issue that I'm beginning to see early in my career that with more seasoned physicians or people in different stages of their career, they respond to challenging conversations or things that come up in our practice in very different ways. So for example, this colleague, I just find that it's not that effective over time because mm -hmm. people start to just tune this person out right? because this person is always complaining, always saying down with the administration, always saying that the doctors right. are the victims. And I don't find that to be effective. Right. And, and you bring up one thing that in conversation, what we learn as physicians is to think about the task in the way that we're communicating. Mm -hmm. And what you and I are talking about is to also put in the relationship component. You are talking to someone that's going to be on the receiving end right. and what's going to be effective in talking to them. I feel like you have to be a magician to do all of those components successfully. Well, you know, every day is a work in progress in everyone's life. True. But I think that in giving you the, the next steps, the scripting of this, mm. it may help you conceptualize a way to talk that will both empower you mm -hmm. as well as put you in a position where you're opening yourself up to dialogue as right. opposed to shutting people down, yes. which that kind of anger can do. Right. So I wondered if we could return to this hypothetical example and ask Marie if she could imagine a time when it's she and another person, somebody in administration, and you have something to say about this problem. And I wondered if I could ask Kathy to say, how would the framework then apply to the actual conversation? Sure. So the first thing that I would suggest doing when you gather your goal, when you've got that solid of what is your hope yes. for the end of this conversation, that the next thing to do is to think about what your values are and how that applies to the conversation. Mm -hmm. Is it valuing caring for patients mm -hmm. and being able to have this conversation is going to enable you to do that better? Or mm -hmm. is it about knowledge and being able to have this conversation is going to give you the time you need to learn so you can take care of patients. So when you combine the value, your values with your goal, that can really empower you in a way that gives you that authenticity and authority. And now I'll give you the framework of, of the script of what to say. Okay. And I use the mnemonic, if I am ready for resolution. And that is I-F-I-A-R. Mm -hmm. The I is to start by speaking in the first person. Mm -hmm. You're going to tell them your subjective experience. Mm -hmm. The F is that you want to speak with facts, mm -hmm. not with emotions. This is right. the time to give them data. Yeah. And in giving them data, you're going to help lead them to the third letter, which 
The next I is impact. Okay. What is the impact of what is occurring? And so would you like to use an example? I actually have an example in oh, mind. Oh, wonderful. And I'm just going through my mind now because I already had this conversation with my direct boss and I'm wondering how I really messed it up. Because oh. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have the facts and I spoke with emotion. And um, may I just present oh, the situation and please. we can talk about it. So as is common now, I think in a lot of practices, something I felt strongly about, which was the use of my signature as a physician, I wasn't entirely pleased with the outcome of the conversation because I think my message or the impact, like you were saying, was a little bit lost because I delivered it with such emotion. Mm -hmm. Can you help guide me as to how it could have been done a little bit differently Surely. to achieve perhaps the goal that I had wished? Surely. And can you say what your goal was? What result were you looking for from this conversation? Yeah, the result was simply that I wish to have control over my signature and not have it placed on a form letter that I didn't agree with. And specifically because I think it violated my values of integrity as a physician. And patients are receiving this letter in my name. And second, autonomy. I value agency as a doctor, and this was, it felt like, yet another way where that was slowly being demolished. Okay. And so if you were to start with the IF, mm -hmm. how might you present it such that you were leading them to the conclusion that you were going to give them? When yes. you talked about the impact. I think the first person was very easy. I can say how it impacted me. I can say how it impacted my patient interaction. The F is where I think I was missing. Perhaps I needed more fact gathering, some data points perhaps, because <laughs> people tend to respond well to that instead of saying, well, it made me upset mm -hmm. or it made my patient upset. Perhaps some facts would have been helpful to get my end goal across. Mm -hmm. And how would you have presented the impact if you had those facts? Do you have an impact in mind? I hear that you have a subjective internal experience. Yes. Are there other components of that are impacted by whether your signature is there or not? Yes, very much so. And this actually all came out because patients were puzzled, upset, confused by why I would be sending them this letter with my signature on it. So they really thought it was from me as opposed to a form letter, which it was. And so the direct impact is patient relationships and also accuracy Absolutely. of their care. Mm -hmm. um, and they had questions about why certain things were being done the way they were. And they felt very puzzled by the letter. Absolutely. And those could be very direct and, and powerful things to say about what's happening in your clinic. Right. I think to address what you said earlier that you were in this emotional arousal, the next component is starting to dialogue, starting to mm -hmm. ask. And I wonder if before you went into this conversation, if you had asked yourself to hypothesize what would be some reasons that they would have made this decision. Yes, and I'm glad you brought that up because I did investigate that before in terms of why the certain language or 
rules were applied to the form letter, but I didn't investigate, I think what I could have done differently is investigate the impact that me as an individual requesting my signature back, so to speak, mm -hmm. what impact that would have on our group and also the other physicians in our organization that would be affected as well. And it, it had much larger ramifications in terms of what I was asking than I first realized. And how did you learn that? By hearing that from my boss. <laughs> when you expressed what yes, when I expressed my emotional <laughs> trouble <laughs> with this whole situation. Sure. And so I was, I was actually counseled to quote unquote, pick and choose my battle. And this is fairly little piddly winks, so to speak in the big picture. But to me, and it still remains such an issue of integrity. Yeah, yeah. And I want to pick this fight, Kathy. So you may, you may want to continue this. I think, though, to highlight something that you did that was in the formula was that you opened up a dialogue mm. after you expressed yourself to ask what was going on. Is that the A? That's the, the, the A. So if I am ready for resolution. Yes. We got through if I. Uh-huh. A is ask. Ask. And then you're gathering more information mm -hmm. to feed into the facts that you have and right. think about how to brainstorm together. Yes. Because R stands for resolution. How can you engage them to see if there is another way through this? Does right. it have to be all or nothing? Are there yes. other ways to approach it? Uh, what is their goal? How can you think with them how to achieve their goal but not attack, attack your integrity. I think that's so important, Kathy, because much of the time, I feel like the relationship between a practicing physician and perhaps their the administration is antagonistic yeah. or is adversarial. It doesn't feel like our end goals are in line with each other. But what you're suggesting is more of an open dialogue mm -hmm. and trying to meet in the middle to achieve everybody's goals in a way that I think um, can be done. Yes, yes to see what the best is that you can get to. And then R, you said ready for resolution. Yeah, it's one R Got to it. work together uh -huh. to see what kind of resolution. It means going in with an open mind mm -hmm. and seeking their input and being open to not having it your way or their way, right. but, but a resolution. So you're talking both about an internal game, so to speak, mm -hmm. and an external or outer way of handling a difficult conversation. Right, the internal mindset and the external way that you handle it. Mm -hmm. And I think you bring up an important part about the internal game that's going mm -hmm. on. Is that people many times have stories, have assumptions going mm -hmm. on in their mind. And those assumptions lead us to think and act in ways that can be self-defeating. Mm -hmm. And so being aware of when you have something inside that's a stop sign and questioning it, whether it's thinking they're always out to get us, mm -hmm. uh, that, that would be a stop sign to mm -hmm. look for. I think you said in an earlier podcast that you're someone who's a glass half full or half empty. Oh, yeah, not, half not empty. Half, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and so if you see stop signs in your mind, right. that's a time to step back and again, gather facts. What are the facts uh, that really support this? Yeah. And that can help you come to a 
different place inside that helps you present this external script. I have a question to clarify, putting the IFIAR schema together with the three points of style, strategy, and script. Script. So you talked about what are the interests of the stakeholders? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm wondering how Marie is aware of her interests. How would she gain awareness of the interests of her counterpart in this dialogue? Sure. How, how do, where does that enter the conversation? I think you said that's part of the ask, but it is mm -hmm. also important to name the interest at some point. I'm thinking, for example, I know you have a practice to run here mm -hmm. and that it is hard to customize rather mm -hmm. than standardize our procedures. And that's the interest, presumably, of admin. Is that kind yes. of statement at all important mm. in, in this schema? I think that it's enormously important because stopping to reflect about what the bigger picture is, about the interests of the person that you're talking with, really opens your mind up to different ways of seeing things. And even mm -hmm. if you're just hypothesizing, knowing that they are running a bigger institution and, gee, I wonder why this is important for them. Mm -hmm. uh, I wonder what ultimate goals are. When you open your mind up to thinking that way, I think it also opens you up mm -hmm. to being in a place of looking for resolution. And I also think it might put them in a position of parity about we both have a shared interest in making this work together yes. as opposed to who's right and who wins. Right. And exactly. it's not being about right. It's about what ultimately is best for the patient, I think. And so yes. from my perspective, something that somebody wise long ago taught me and I'm trying to still practice it is that we shouldn't just complain or point out all the faults or wrongs. But if we have a grievance to also offer a solution, a possible solution. Mm -hmm. Or an offer to continue to talk if mm -hmm. the, of course, if right. resolution dialogue. is not right. possible in the moment. Right. Is that part of the ready for resolution part? Would I be able to present next time to a superior some ideas that I had? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. So we've worked our way into a very typical and difficult situation, dealing with someone who has empowerment and feeling you don't like how that power has been exerted. And I think we've heard a very good framework of mm -hmm. how to step back. So I think it's very important to take that time out when you know that you are walking into a situation where you're going to get past 60 and not able to be as clear as you need, to step back and get yourself down and take that time out to do the framing. What, how am I gonna go in? Mm -hmm. What are the shared interests of the other people? And how am I going to arrange my script? And in the script, use that I-F-I-A-R. Speak from first person, express the facts, express the impact, ask for more clarification, and proceed to some kind of resolution. How are we going to solve this or continue to work together? That's a great summary, Les. Thank you. One other piece that I'd like to add to that is that if you notice that you're getting caught up in the limbic loop, which right. is going to detract you from thinking, that's the time to get curious, to start asking questions and move your mind into the analytic part of your thinking that will allow you to then work through these other components. That's right. To fo focus more on collaboration rather than getting sucked up into winning an argument. Exactly. 
Okay, well, I think this is an excellent framework and we find ourselves in these situations frequently and they're not just with people empowered and telling us what to do. They're with our colleagues who we don't feel are pulling their share or making demands on us. They're with our staff whom we are having contention about the oversight of their work with patients with whom our goals and their appearance may be at variance. So there's plenty of opportunity to practice this kind of skill. You don't have to wait for the highly charged, high stakes conversation. There's lots of opportunity to sort of step back at a conversation that you can start yourself feeling this, this has some difficulty in it and start thinking about this framework. What's my goal here? T time out to think about goal, how I'm going to present yeah. my point of view and go through the steps to sort of surface what is important to you, get what's important to them on the table and proceed toward a resolution. Kathy, thank you so much. That was incredible. A lot of food thank for you, thought. Marie. Thank you again. And my thank pleasure. you Les, as always. Well, I had one more thing I wanted ah, to say, yes. which is if, between now and when we meet again, I know you are busy and you, the insights and pearls are coming at you with the strength of a fire hose as opposed to something <laughs> you can just contemplate and, and use at leisure. But if you just notice the conflictual situations, the difficult conversations, I should say, that arise every day in your work, not just the all capital red letter, you know, administrative <laughs> ones, but, you know, just every day thinking about, is this conversation going to have some difficulty in it? And perhaps all you need to do is notice, say, yeah, this one is difficult, that one is, and so forth. And if you have the chance, see if a timeout to use this framework could be applied. But we'll, we'll just see. Just at least the first part is recognizing there is a set of difficult conversations. And that takes some of my energy. This is a better way to manage my energy. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, very good. So I'd like to thank Kathy as well for a very enlightening discussion. And I want to thank our listening audience too. And then I'm looking forward to our next session when we will be talking with Dr. Beth Frades, who's going to talk to us about stop running on empty, high test fuel for physicians. If you have a question or a comment about today's program, email us at feedback at medpep.org or simply visit us at medpep.org. And now here's a few words from MedPep's founder, Steve Edelman. This is Dr. Steve Edelman, creator of MedPep, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program, and Director of PHS, Physician Health Services, a charitable subsidiary of the Massachusetts Medical Society. Our mission is to promote the well-being of health professionals. Many thanks to our seeker, Dr. Marie Curious, to our guide, Dr. Les Schwab, and to our wonderful group of guest experts. Hats off to project leader, Dr. J. Dev Dasgupta, audio producer, Douglas Stevens, guitardiologist Dr. Susie Brown, and to the staff and board of PHS. Please visit and connect with us at medpep.org for CME info, faculty bios, and additional empowerment resources.